one of the most exciting time periods in the history of the world. And God has planned and purposed that each one of us here be born in this time period. That God has a plan and purpose for each one of us. And um, Dion mentioned that what we're sharing on is not some Hollywood movie. And people have a longing to understand what the future holds. People in the world turn to the occult, they turn to fortune tellers to try and find out things about the future. But the Word of God, 25%, one quarter of the Bible relates to prophecy. And we've had Hollywood movies that have portrayed the end of the world. Uh, there was a movie, 2012, that uh, portrayed the complete destruction of the world. Now, although when we look at the book of Revelation, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So there will come a time where God is going to destroy this earth and create a new earth and a new heavens. And when we get there to that portion of scripture, you'll see why God is actually going to do that. But what the scripture talks about is the end of this age. And Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, the age that we are living in. Now, the only source which is absolutely faultless and totally reliable when it comes to revealing the future is the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, it's a passage of Scripture that we're all familiar with. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God gives us direction individually in our lives, but this book also gives us direction as to what is going to take place in the future, particularly with the age that we are living in at the moment. So people have a desire to know what the future holds. And for us as believers, we actually need to understand the time period that we are living in preceding the return of the Lord. God actually wants us to have an understanding of the time period that we're living in. If you turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Okay, we're going to jump around quite a bit looking at, uh, at different scriptures tonight. What I'm doing tonight is I'm actually going to just lay a little bit of a foundation. Principles of understanding biblical prophecy. So we're not going to go straight into the book of Revelation tonight. Next Sunday, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel's 70th week because 
Revelation 4, chapters 4 to 19, actually covers Daniel's 70th week. So the bulk of the book of Revelation is actually about that. So we're going to look at that and what was revealed to Daniel by the Lord, what's actually going to happen in that time period. And it's very, very interesting. After that, we will look at the doctrine concerning the rapture of the church, and then we'll start the book of Revelation. We want to lay a foundation first before we actually go into the Word of God. Uh, not the Word of God, in the book of Revelation. So Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Jesus was speaking to the crowd, and he says, When you see a cloud rising in the west... Immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Now listen to what Jesus says to the people. Now he also addresses the same. If you go and read in, in Matthew, uh, he also speaks, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus addresses the same issue with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says here to them, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the signs of the present time? Jesus actually took them to task because they had all the scriptures concerning his appearing where he was going to be born, his ministry, what he was going to do. And when he appeared, they didn't recognize him. It was all in God's plan and purpose, because if they had recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they wouldn't have crucified him. And it was all in God's plan and purpose for the people of Israel that they were blinded in order that they would crucify the Messiah so that he would shed his blood for all humanity. But Jesus still challenged them. He said, you know what? You've got the scriptures. You're able to interpret the weather, but how come you're not able to interpret the signs of the times? So sadly today in the church, you find that a lot of churches are not teaching about biblical prophecy the way that they should. And for us to be able to do this um, and to look at it, uh, it's encouraging for all of us. Remember prophecy. And as we look at the book of Revelation, I've had people that have said to me that I want to read the book of Revelation because it frightens them. The purpose of prophecy is not to frighten us. God gives it to us to encourage us. And that's why I'm going to lay a foundation first, that we look at Daniel, the rapture of the church, then move into the book of Revelation. So when we look at prophecy, let's have a look and see what God actually says about his prophetic word. So we'll have a look at some passages in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah 44, and we'll look at verses 
6 and 7. And God is actually challenging here, if you read this chapter, He's challenging the people of Israel and those who make idols. He says, you know what, idols are nothing. They are actually worthless, if you read Isaiah 44. But in verse 6, He says, this is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people, talking about the people of Israel, and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. So God actually puts out a challenge here. He says, I'm God. I know what happened in the past. And I know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And if anybody repudiates this, let him come and lay out exactly the same information that I'm able to tell about the, the future. So God actually issues this challenge. And if we go to Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. The Lord says here through the prophet Isaiah, he says, remember this, fix it in your mind, take it to heart. Now look what the Lord calls his people, he says, you rebels, because they were rebellious. If you read the history of the nation of Israel, they were a rebellious people. They continually rebelled against God. Even when God led them out of Egypt, what did they do? They rebelled against him. It's amazing. Even when they witnessed, they'd witnessed the plagues, they'd witnessed the God delivering them through the Red Sea, bringing them to the mountain, and yet they still rebelled against God. And even as Peter shared this morning about Caleb and, and Joshua, even though they had experienced the incredible mighty hand of God, they still rebelled and were fearful about the giants in the land and did not trust that God was able to bring them into the, into the promised land. So God says here, he says to them, take this to heart, remember the former things, those of long ago, I am God, there's nobody like me. I make known the end so God makes known the end, what's going to happen in the end, from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. What is the purpose and what is the reason that God would give us so much information in his word 
that reveals what is going to happen in the future. First of all, to show us that he is God, because nobody can actually show us what is going to happen in the future other than God himself. If you look at all the other religious writings, the Book of Mormon, uh, if you look at uh, the writings of Islam, nothing in there compared to what is written in this book. But also God, the main purpose, I believe, as well, too, in God showing us what is going to happen. And so much of biblical prophecy relates to the end, right to the end time. Even in the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, what Jesus spoke about, uh, what the book of Revelation deals, deals so much with the time period that we are in at this point in time. And I believe it's to actually make the imminent coming of the Lord a reality in our hearts. It was a reality in the early church. And every generation that has lived in the church age has had that blessed hope expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something that makes our generation different to any other generation in that we are much closer to the coming of the Lord than any other generation has experienced. And I'll talk about that just now. Let's go to Peter, Second Peter chapter Second Peter chapter one, and we'll read from verse sixteen. And Peter says there we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. That's when... Um, Peter and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Then Peter goes on to say, he says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Listen to what he says next. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is Peter saying here? So you know what? The revelation that we had on the Mount of transfiguration was wonderful but there's something that is a lot more certain than that and that's the prophetic word of God and what Peter says here he says 
the word of God is totally authoritative and we actually need to heed it and pay attention to it. In other words, it's in our best interests to pay attention to it. And what he says here, he says, you need to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises where? In our hearts. What is he talking about there? Okay, the, the morning star. In the morning you have the planet Venus, normally referred to as the morning star. When you see that, you know that dawn is coming. That dawn is approaching. That it's not too far away and it's going to get light. So, what Peter is saying here, as we pay attention to the word of God, and particularly when we look at prophecy, he says, it's like, when you study it, it's like the morning star rising where in our hearts. And as we study the word of God, and this becomes more a reality to us, particularly for the age that uh, we are living in, okay? We're going to know that the day is about to break, where darkness is going to disappear, the dawn is going to come, and the Lord is going to return. So that's what he's talking about there. So God desires us to actually live in excited anticipation of his return. Let's look at what Hebrews 9.28 says. Let's actually take it from verse 26, Hebrews 9, 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as, one, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So, the word of God actually encourages us to live in anticipation, and that's the hope that we have as the church. This world is in a mess. There's an increase in wickedness like we have never seen in our generation. And Jesus actually spoke about it. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There, wickedness is actually rampant in the earth, and we've witnessed in our generation things that Previous generations have not, um, have not witnessed. And that is our hope, that we are looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And the opposite of that is true, okay, is that we are not waiting for the appearance of the Antichrist. Okay? We are looking for the appearance of the Lord. Although the Bible speaks a lot about the Antichrist, 
Daniel, Jesus mentions it in Matthew, in Luke, Thessalonians, Revelation. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks more about the Antichrist. Uh, the only other person that the Bible talks more about is Jesus himself. The Antichrist is mentioned in so many passages in, in Scripture. But we are not looking for the appearance of the Antichrist. We are looking for the appearance of the Lord Jesus. And we are waiting for him to appear. And a lot of Christians spend time theorizing about the Antichrist. Okay? And so much so that they become advertising agents for the Antichrist. But our mandate as Christians is to be witnesses for the Lord, okay? Because Jesus said to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Paul actually also congratulated the Thessalonians, okay? Because... Let's go there, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 and 10. pick it up from verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and listen to what Paul says here, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. And listen to this, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Okay, What he's talking about there, what we're going to look at, um, what Jeremiah talks about, the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week what we're going to look at in the book of Revelation is the time of God's wrath. That's what it's referred to in Scripture. Now, Paul talks a lot in 1 Thessalonians, and we'll look at it when we look at the doctrine of the rapture. 1 and 2 Thessalonians were actually the first letters that Paul wrote. Okay, not Corinthians, the Letters in the Bible don't go in chronicle, chronological order as to the way they were written. The letters to the Thessalonians were the first letters that Paul wrote. And Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica. And he taught them more about the coming of the Lord than any other subject. Which is interesting. Back then, 2,000 years ago. And... He writes to them and he says, you waiting, we waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, 
Jesus who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. So we're waiting for the Lord, and we have this guarantee, okay, that Jesus actually does something for us, okay? That as believers, what is going to come on this planet, God is actually going to rescue us from that, and we'll see that in more detail. Also, um, a practical result of having expectant hearts for the coming of the Lord is that we do not have to fear what is going to happen in the future. God doesn't want us to be fearful at all. We do not have to be fearful about what the future holds. David says in Psalms 34, verse 4 and 5, he says, the Lord has delivered me from all, not some, all of my fears. And one of the things that can um, be an issue for us as believers and for people is the fear of what the future holds. We don't have to fear the future because we know the one who holds the future. And he actually tells us exactly how things are going to pan out. Another important practical result of having that expectancy of the return of the Lord is a motivation for holy living. If we turn to 1 John chapter 3, we're jumping around quite a bit here. Yeah? Let's read from verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished, lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now listen what John writes here. He says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So having that expectancy of the coming of the Lord motivates us to live holy lives. Okay? None of us will be completely perfect in this life. We're going to blow it. We're going to make mistakes. But what happens to us as believers as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and as we mature as Christians, we don't become perfect. All that happens is we sin less. That's what happens. None of us are perfect. We still blow it. And we still make mistakes. But we have an advocate before the Father when we do blow it that we can go to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I've blown it. Lord, just 
forgive me. So that's another motivation uh, when we have that expectancy for the return of the Lord. So now I'm just quickly going to go through some principles relating to biblical prophecy. Number one, some prophecies will remain a secret. The book of Deuteronomy actually gives us two basic principles for understanding biblical prophecy. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. Says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So there's some things that God doesn't permit us to know. They're none of our business. Okay. And a common mistake sometimes that people make when dealing with events, talking about the future, is that they become intrigued with the secret things and fail to obey and look at the revealed things that are in the Word of God. So let's have a look at two examples that illustrate revealed things and an example of secret things. So Acts 1.11 says this. This is when Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples stood on the Mount of Olives looking up as they saw him disappear into heaven. Acts 1.11 says, The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way as you've seen him taken into heaven. So this is something that we know as Christians. It's revealed truth. But now let's look at a secret thing, something that God has not made known, and we don't have the right to know it. And speaking about the events of his return in Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The precise day and hour of the return of the Lord Jesus is unknowable to anyone except to God himself. And I can remember in 2012, I remember driving to work every morning and at the East Rand Mall there was a huge billboard. I mean, you, could, you couldn't miss it, okay? That Jesus Christ is returning on the 23rd of May. Okay? Well, the 23rd of May has come and gone. <laughs> now, we know that the Lord is coming back, okay? And you'll see as we look at Daniel, okay, we look at the events that we're in now, okay, um, we'll know the season, okay, we'll know that this is the time period, but we don't know the exact day or the hour that the Lord is going to come back. Talking about the, when the Lord comes back for us, for the rapture of the, of the church, So anybody that claims to be able to reveal the secret things of God is a false prophet. Full stop. Prophecy is given for a reason. Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds us that the truths are shown that we might do what? Do them. Okay? The purpose of biblical prophecy is not to make us 
wiser than our neighbors. Okay? The purpose of biblical prophecy is to give us things to do, to actually occupy the time that we are living in. Okay? Um, Matthew 28, we know that passage of Scripture so well that Jesus spoke to his disciples just before he, he left. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And surely I am with you, this is where he says, to the end of the age, or I'm with you, always. So the purpose of biblical prophecy, particularly the time that we're living in, is not to just sit back and say, okay, we are waiting and expecting the coming of the Lord, but we need to occupy the time and we need to be going about what the Lord has actually encouraged us to do, and that is to preach the gospel. Prophecy is also given, how are we doing for time, for a specific time and situation. Many prophecies relate to a specific time, and we don't actually fully understand what they mean until they actually happen. Okay? Now, um, if you go to Bible college, one of the things that they teach you there is the law of prophetic perspective and the law of prophetic perspective is this okay if you had to stand say you, you you're standing at a at a particular point um, let's say you standing in Cape Town and you look into the distance and you see the mountains okay what you do is you you just see the mountains but as you get closer to the mountains, suddenly you realize, okay, there's peaks and there's valleys behind those mountains. So when you're looking at prophecy that's going to take place in the future, what you don't see is the peaks and the valleys. And that's the law of prophetic perspective. And sometimes you actually only understand those prophecies when they are actually fulfilled. Understand them fully. Okay. Because God gives us a certain amount of information, prophetic information, but sometimes you don't understand it until that time period actually arrives. For us now, living in the generation that we live in, okay, there is so much that we can look back on and understand that previous generations didn't understand. So if we have a look at Jeremiah chapter 30. Verse 3. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring back my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land that I gave their forefathers to possess, says the Lord. These are the words of the Lord 
These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah, and this is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale? How awful that day will be, none will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. Okay. The time period that he's talking about there, the time of trouble for Jacob, is talking about Daniel's 70th week. That's what the Old Testament prophets referred to. The time of Jacob's trouble. And if you have a look here, what we saw in verse 3, the Lord says there, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will bring back my people Israel and Judah from captivity. Okay. So, Far from predicting peace when Israel is restored to a land. And you can see over the last, um, Israel is now 70 years that it's been in the land. 1948 was when Israel was, became a nation again, fulfilling this prophecy and many others. I'm just referencing one here for time. What the scripture actually predicts is that it's going to be a time of tribulation and anguish, okay, for the Jewish nation, okay, for Israel, not for the church, okay, for the Jewish people. And we'll see why that actually happens. And most prophecies relating to the end times actually assume the presence of Israel, that Israel is back in the land. That's why the event that took place in 1948 is the biggest sign for our generation that we are living in the generation that would witness the return of the Lord. That's what the scripture says. If you look at the parable of the fig tree in Matthew, the fig tree refers to Israel. And Israel being restored is the biggest eschatological event, and eschatological is a big word. Uh, eschatology is the study of the end times. That is the biggest event that we have witnessed in our generation. And there is such a huge demonic attack against the nation of Israel. Why? Because the devil knows this is a problem. Okay? Because he knows what is written in the word of God. And he knows that his time is short. And that's why, if you, if you look at what people say about the nation of Israel, it doesn't make sense. Okay? The eighth most prosperous nation in the world, did you know that? At this point in time. But facing a lot of drama and going to face even more drama in the future. So... Also, what, if you read the full chapter, now I'm going through things very quickly here for the sake of time. If you read the full uh, chapter of Jeremiah, right at the end of that particular chapter, um, Jeremiah says there, he says, verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart in days to come, you will understand it. In the King James, it says, in the latter days, talking about the period that we're living in, that you'll actually understand this prophecy, what's 
actually going to happen and transpire. So this is a prophecy that you won't have any use for until you are actually living in the end time. And we living in that time where we are seeing Scripture um, fulfilled in front of our eyes with amazing accuracy. Um, so the reestablishment of the nation of Israel is an indication that we are living at the end of the last days. Remember the last days began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible references the last days as the church period from the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out from the first advent of Christ to the second advent of Christ is the period referred to as the last days. And we're living right at the end of that. Prophecy is also given for guidance. Uh, you can see that in Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 20. Okay, Luke 21, Matthew 24, the two passages in Scripture where the disciples actually asked Jesus about um, the signs of the end of the age, his return, the destruction of the temple. And in Luke 21, verse 20, Jesus says there, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then listen to what he says here. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken prisoners to all nations Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what Jesus was talking about here is what happened in AD 70. In AD 68, the Jewish people rose up in rebellion against Rome. The Roman armies came down from Syria under the Roman general Vespasian. And Jesus actually issued a warning here. He says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And then he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. History records that all the Christians took note of what Jesus had said and fled. There were no Christians in Jerusalem when the armies came down. And interesting what happened is when the Roman armies came down, they actually stopped in full view of the people in the city of Jerusalem. Because what happened was Caesar passed away and Vespasian, who was the, the general of the army, got recalled to Rome. So the armies actually stopped. The Christians saw the armies Remembered Jesus' words, what did they do? They fled. That saved their lives. Because when the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem, 
they destroyed the city and killed every single person in it. Those that did survive were taken captive, exactly as the scripture said here. They will fall by the sword and be taken prisoners to all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. 1967 was the first time that Jerusalem came under Jewish um, sovereignty after nearly 2,000 years, fulfilling that scripture. So in our generation, we have seen a lot of scriptures being fulfilled in our eyes. So Jesus gave that prophecy for guidance, and those that listened to it saved their lives. Otherwise, they would have perished. The spirit of prophecy focuses on Jesus. When we look at Scripture and we look at the spirit of prophecy, it's not just words of prof prophecy. Biblical prophecy always focuses on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the central theme of biblical prophecy from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation 19 verse 10 actually tells us that. Just quickly read that. And we're going to bring this to a close. Nineteen ten. John writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. It's very easy. John actually fell down in front of an angel here. And the angel actually says, No, 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 no. You don't worship me. You worship God. Okay. Um he says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, all prophecy focuses on Jesus Christ. Everything. That is the purpose, ultimate purpose of prophecy. Prophecy also means what it says. If prophecy is given as a literal word, you can't spiritualize it. So when we look at prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus, every single one of those prophecies were filled literally. He was born of a virgin, literally. He was born in Bethlehem, literally. He was called out of Egypt, that literally happened. He healed the sick, that literally happened. He was crucified, that literally happened. He rose from the dead, that literally happened. He ascended into heaven, that literally happened. Okay, but some prophecies can have what we call an allegorical interpretation. So the word allegory means a story or a poem. You have that in Daniel chapter 8 where 
Daniel had a vision of a ram and a goat, and I'm just going over this quickly for the sake of time. Um, and the two-horned ram that Daniel saw actually represented the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat that Daniel saw was the king of Greece. They were kings that were going to arise at a, at a later time. And that's exactly what happened, because the, the Medes and the Persians came, and they destroyed, uh, took over the Babylonian Empire. And then later we had the Greeks under Alexander the Great that came and swept through that area. So Daniel was given a vision uh, about what was going to happen at a later time. But he was given pictures, and the angel then actually explained to him what these pictures meant, okay? So with regards to Israel, people often try and spiritualize prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Israel saying that these prophecies do not pertain to Israel, but to the church. That's wrong. You can't do that. This is where replacement theology comes, replacement theology comes in. And replacement theology is not biblical, okay, because the church has not replaced Israel. Okay? And you can't spiritualize those prophecies. So where the Bible talks about Israel, if you have a look at, take for example Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, go and read that. Okay, you can't spiritualize that. It's got nothing to do with the church. It's got to do with the restoration of Israel in the end times. And it's a very interesting passage to go through, Ezekiel 37, 38. And even if you look at Ezekiel 39, which is very interesting, Gog, Magog, all those nations there, that prophecy is actually being fulfilled now in front of our very eyes. Because all the nations that are mentioned there, if you go and read it, those names of those nations that are there uh, are names that refer to um, nations at that time. Okay, But the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 39 are Russia, Turkey, and Iran. And all three of those nations are in Syria at the moment. And the scripture actually tells that those nations are actually going to attack Israel from the Golan Heights. They're there. The borders of Israel on the Golan Heights are patrolled by Russian gods, not by Syrian gods. So those nations are there. Go and read that passage of scripture. It's very interesting. So, Scripture is actually being fulfilled before our very eyes. Now, I'm just touching on that briefly. That's actually a whole study on its own, to actually have a look at that, okay? So, what we see is that prophecies in the Word of God are going to be fulfilled, if I can use the word, with frightening literalness in the times that we are living in. Things are going to move out of places. Things are going to fall from heaven. There's going to be more earthquakes. And what we are witnessing at the moment, God doesn't want us to be afraid. The last thing that I want to mention is that God is sovereign. He's in total control. He is totally just. And we can be absolutely sure that as we look at end time prophecy, that God has never said anything that is not true, not made any mistakes about anything. He hasn't even made 
mistakes about anything that happens to us. God has got his hand on each and every single one of you who are his. And he loves you more than what you could ever fathom or grasp. He's not going to let your foot slip or fall. Go and read Psalm 121. Sterius and I were talking about it earlier. Look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. Okay? He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God watches over every aspect of our lives because each one of us is incredibly precious to him. God is sovereign. He's in control. And we don't have to be fearful and afraid as we look at uh, biblical prophecy, at the book of Revelation, and the events that are going to take place. We can have total confidence in God. He's got everything under control. Okay, we've gone eight minutes over time. There's a lot of information that I've given to you tonight. And when you're talking about biblical prophecy, there is so much that you can talk about. So I've compacted a lot into what we've shared tonight. Next week, very interesting, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's 70th week. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. Dion, do you want to come up and say anything? Guys, if you want to just stay for the tea and coffee, if you want to stay. And Lord, I just pray your blessing on everybody. Thank you that we have the opportunity just to study your word, that your word is a lamp to our, a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. Lord, that you guide and direct us. And as we look at biblical prophecy, Lord, we just thank you that we can look to your word that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, that we can look to your word, that you don't want us to be ignorant about the time period that we're living in. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to study your word. And I just thank you, Lord, for your hand on each and every single person here. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your love and mercy in each one of our lives. And I just pray the peace of God on each and every single person here in Jesus' name. Amen.